0: mind control, it allows us to be able to see the emotions for what they are, because ultimately our emotions are the same as the thoughts in our minds our minds move with thoughts, good, bad, happy or sad, we'll always have thoughts and it's the same with our emotions and it's having that understanding of that whatever's going on in our mind right now, whatever's going on in the feeling in our body once we start to understand that and notice it for what it is we're able just to let it go
1: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. This is Ben Morton, and a very warm welcome to episode 94 of the podcast, in which we are joined by Lynn Penman, who is the UK's leading solution focused mental health expert. Lynn is a trained psychotherapist who works with a range of corporate and professional clients using her unique Now Step method to achieve amazing results. Lynn also runs a very successful membership group, the Female Mind Retreat for Professional Women. She's an experienced speaker at corporate events and has just published her debut book, The Now Step. And you can win a copy of that book by entering our free prize draw competition and you'll find a link for that in the show notes, folks. In this episode, we explore what we can practically do as leaders to help us step out of the fight or flight mode that we can so often find ourselves in, especially in the modern world. On top of this, we discuss what leaders can do to better support our people and enable them to perform at their best, which fundamentally for me is a large part of a leader's job. We also spent some time Talking about why asking somebody even 10 times how they are is likely to make very little difference if they are truly stressed and struggling with their mental health. But before we get into this episode, folks, please do take just a moment to visit my website over at www.ben-morton.com where you can subscribe to my newsletter to get a two-weekly roundup of the latest podcast episodes, plus loads of additional leadership development resources. For now though, and without any further delay, please enjoy this week's episode and my conversation with Lynn Penman. Lynn, a very warm welcome to the podcast. It's fantastic to have you with us today. How are you?
0: I am very well, thank you. Very well. My children are all back at school now, so I'm doing cartwheels this morning.
1: Well, we were just chatting about that before we hit record, weren't we? And for all yeah. of the working parents out there who have just gotten through the, the school summer holidays, that's a, a big sigh of relief, right? And probably, uh, probably good for our mental health as much as we love our children.
0: Absolutely, very good for our mental health to get back to some kind of normality and get back to our routine it it certainly is, but yeah, absolutely like you say sending lots of love and support out to all the working parents that are out there because it's a it's a difficult job at
1: times, yeah, absolutely, Lynn, can we start off? Do you want to just Tell us a little bit about what it is that you do right now and perhaps a little of the, the journey that led you to where you are.
0: Absolutely, Ben, of course I will. And yes, so my journey started way back about 12, 14 years ago now when I was working in the corporate environment and I really struggled with my own mental health. With anxiety, even things like getting asked to go and present on stages or going away and getting flights to go away to like company meetings and things like that, I would have panic attacks and I really, really suffer bad with mental health. So it then took me on a journey when I then went off to have my four kids within six years. And my goodness, I thought it was difficult working in the corporate environment with stress and anxiety, but try bringing up four children in six years. But that was a learning curve in itself. So. I then went on a journey to managing my own mental health. And at the time, I tried everything under the sun, Ben, because it was a really, really frightening time for me. I tried all the different therapies, counselling, NLP, behavioural therapies, all the stuff that takes you back into your past. And then I came across what is known as solution-focused therapy. And it was really, really life-changing for me in my journey with my mental health. And it kind of set me off on a pathway to going and retraining as a psychotherapist and learning about solution-focused therapy. And then from there, starting to see clients and developing my own mental health management method, which is called the Now Step, which ultimately brings together everything that I had learned and educated myself on, as well as all the things that had massively helped me and my clients that were seen at that time face-to-face in clinics to manage their mental health. Mm
1: -hmm. So when you were doing your corporate job, What did you how did your anxiety at the time manifest itself and sort of how supportive were your employers or to what degree did you talk about it or did you try and try and hide it? I'm curious what that was like, because I'm sure that'd be really useful for people to understand that, particularly if they're struggling with their own mental health or if indeed if they're a leader or a manager kind of looking after people, they potentially might have no idea about what's going on for people.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's one of the issues, isn't it? That the majority of people don't speak out and people don't talk about it. I think going back to when I worked in the corporate, so you're talking about 15 years ago now, 14, 15 years ago now, it was very different, Ben, than what it is now. Because there wasn't the same culture, there wasn't the same EAPs, there was no mental health first aiders. There was a way back in that time when we were at the very, very beginning of managing mental health as sort of company-wide and supporting people so at that time it wasn't spoken about there wasn't really any support and I was kind of left on my own little journey in my own little head wondering why I was the one that when we went away on company meetings and they were all out socializing that I was wanting to stay upstairs in my hotel room and I wasn't wanting to go out and see everybody I was the one that was kind of left at home wondering why I had this fear of flying suddenly. And it was a really, really scary time for me. And it's not something then that I would have brought up and spoken to my line manager or my, indeed, my senior leadership team about at that point.
1: Mm. And what impact do you think that had on your career at, at that time? Did it sort of have an impact on the jobs and tasks you got given? Did it have an impact on sort of promotion and opportunity you were exposed to, do you think?
0: Absolutely, Ben. Well, to be honest, what happened at that point in my journey was, because it got quite severe, the company were offering voluntary redundancy. And it's something at that time I remember almost just thinking, like somebody sent me an answer here from the heavens, because I almost felt like there was no other way for me to kind of escape and get away from all that worry and anxiety and fear. So I had fallen pregnant with my first child at this point, and the company offered voluntary redundancy, which at that point I took had things been different, maybe going forward 15 years to where we are now, perhaps if I had been able to get more support or speak more freely about things, then perhaps I wouldn't have chosen to go down that route. But at that point, I was just so relieved to be able to get out of that environment that was making me feel really, really fearful and really, really frightened.
1: Mm. And I guess if you was in that situation where if kind of your teammates and colleagues were perhaps going out on a night out and you was trying to or you you didn't want to was I think you said sort of almost hiding away in your in your hotel room I guess that would lead to them creating false meaning around you as an individual perhaps why why you weren't joining in with other, other events like what did did you ever kind of hear any kind of whispers or rumors or sense that people were misinterpreting what was going on?
0: I guess it's probably similar to where we are now with things like that. When you're working in a corporate environment and you've got all these people that are part of your team, you're always going to have ones that are more supportive and ones that are not more supportive. And I think absolutely there's that much misunderstanding about mental health, uh, way back then in particular, that ultimately people perhaps would have jumped to that conclusion about, oh, Lynn just doesn't want to come out and spend time yeah. with us and all that kind of thing. More importantly, Ben, And again, for anybody that's listening to this that suffers from anxiety, when you're in that position and you're really caught up in that kind of fear and that worry, it was more about the voices that I was hearing in my head. Like, I've got my two little puppets. a shame that we can't obviously we're doing the podcast, but when I'm doing key speaking notes or doing these training things, I've got two little puppets that are called the crazy man and the crazy lady that I use. So even a way back then, it was that crazy lady voice in my head that was making me then probably future project and worst case scenario, my teammates won't like me. They're probably talking about me. My manager's thinking this about me.
1: Yeah.
0: Which was Mm. really, really frightening. And I think that's when you're on that place of having anxiety, it's all those things. Like obviously knowing what I know now about managing mental health and how your brain works.
1: Yeah.
0: If I only had a Lynn way back 15 years ago, my career might have been completely different and I might have still been working in the corporate environment.
1: Yeah. Do you wish you were still working in the corporate environment or do you believe everything happens for a reason? And actually, do you look back on that experience with any gratitude because it's led you to do what you do now?
0: Oh, absolutely. Because I think I have obviously now got the confidence to go in and work with corporate Mm. organisations and talk the talk and understand a little bit about what the environment's like. Whereas if I hadn't done that, then I would never have, I wouldn't be where I am right now. Like before I worked in the corporate environment, I was a midwife. So things in my career massively changed from being a midwife to working in a really high-paced, like massive pharmaceutical company organization, then having my career break to then train as a psychotherapist to now go on the journey that I'm able to go into the corporate environment and ultimately speak to people, speak right to their heart and speak to them about the understanding about the way that I feel, and show them a way that they can manage it, which hopefully will allow them to either stay in their careers and progress. And it'll certainly allow their managers and people that perhaps haven't experienced anxiety to understand exactly what it's like for their employees.
1: Yeah. And knowing all you know now, what advice would you then give for leaders and managers in in the workplace to enable them to ultimately get, get the best out of their their people, right? Because my view on leadership, which listeners to the show would have heard me say umpteen times now, like for me, the job of a leader is absolutely to deliver the, the results that we're accountable for mm. and to look after the people that we've got the, the privilege and responsibility to lead. I think both of those are arguably as important and there's probably an argument to say looking after the people is more important because if you do that, they're going to be better motivated able to to deliver the the results so what advice would you give to to leaders and managers based on your personal experience and all that you've you've learned and now now teach
0: I think it's super important that leaders are able to look at their own mental wellness and mental health before they obviously start looking at people that work underneath them in their teams I think the most important thing to understand right now is that The majority of the world, so whether you're somebody that wants to put your hand up and say, actually, I'm suffering right now from health anxiety, OCD, mental health, whatever that may be, or whether you're somebody that's feeling anxious right now or a bit angry or easily easily agitated, like, I like to think about mental health being on a spectrum. Mm. So ultimately, we're all on it somewhere. So the majority right now of the working population are all in what I talk about as being this limbic primitive survival part of their brain. So there's two parts of the brain that they can operate from right now. The intellectual brain, which you and I are using right now to communicate. So it's the positive part. It's the part that doesn't do anxiety, worry, procrastination, all that kind of thing. It generally, generally sees the positive side. However, right now, the majority of the population, leaders included, are operating from this primitive survival part of their brain which means then, Ben, that we know things about this. They'll always be negative. It's a very negative brain. Yeah. Really interestingly, I, I come up with this quite a lot, speaking to obviously people that are asking me to go in and do work within their organisation. When people are often sent on a leadership course, often or not it's fed back to the HR directors, whoever set the course and things up, that a lot of the leaders that were on the programme have been very negative about all the things that have been suggested to them to take over on the programme, if you know what I mean. And it's great for leaders to understand that right now their brain's telling them to be really negative because it's trying to make them survive. So when we have a lot of negative thinking and worst-case scenario thinking, it's not because somebody's just egotistical or somebody's obviously not like being a leader. It's because that's where their brain is wiring.
1: Yeah.
0: So right now I think leaders really need to look at okay, where am I I at right now? Am I able to go into my job every day and be intellectually minded and be positive? Or am I spending a lot of my time in that part of my brain that's making me feel depressed, anxious, angry, whatever that may show up like? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Because only once leaders can get a clear understanding of where they're at, are they then able to be able to be an intellectual mind control to be able to share it with other
1: people? Yeah. And when you say a lot of people are at the minute in the workplace operating from that primitive part of the brain that's got this strong negativity bias what's that based on is that still kind of effects of not not the physical effects of covid like the mental effects of covid is that because of what's going on in the world economically politically is that is that what you're referring to that's driving that right now
0: imagine a little stress bucket yeah so we've all got a stress bucket that's almost imagine it's sitting in that primitive survival part of the brain People often think that it's stress per se. So it's the fact that you've got a project deadline or the fact that you've got people in your team that are struggling from stress and anxiety. Perhaps you've got a lot of conflict going on between managers. Perhaps it's to do with relationships at home. People often think that it's the stress, it's the events that cause them to obviously feel stressed and anxious, but it's not. And this is where all the stuff that I teach in my mental health management method comes in. It's the way that we think about these events, so it's mind management, so ultimately it's not the events that fill the stress bucket, but it's the way that we think about the events, yeah, so it's the way we worry, we judge, we criticize it's that negative self talk that goes in and fills up that stress bucket so right now, a lot of people who perhaps were feeling quite mentally well before covid or before their marriage broke down, or whatever events have happened in their lives, it's almost like all these little things have added up and added up and added up, so right now. When you've got a full stress bucket, and some of the leaders, some of the people watching this, listening back, sorry, listening to this podcast will be feeling that their stress bucket is that feel that it's flooding their office or it's maybe flooding the street that they're living in right now. When it's feeling overflowing so much, it's not by the events per se, it's by their thinking around the events. Mm. So what happens is they get stuck in this primitive part of their brain. We can't access our intellectual brain when we've got a full stress bucket. It's in this part of the brain. But I do a lot of work with like CEOs and people that are obviously like really high in leader leader positions. And often or not, they might come and say like, oh, we've had really bad health anxiety. We've been away and had an appointment with a neurologist. And they've assured us that everything's fine with our brains. It's just stress. So they're suggesting that we go away and we have a week on a cruise or we go away on holiday for two weeks. Now, that's fine. But that's not the solution if they're going to go away and line a cruise ship for a week. But the whole time lie there with their little mind that little crazy man or crazy lady voice in their mind future projecting to when they come back from the cruise thinking about the meetings that are coming up and the project deadlines and the budgets and filling and how the big their bucket.
1: email inbox is going to be
0: absolutely so it's really interesting i really like i really want it's listening to think about this it's not the stress that's in your life yes you can have a really high power job You can have a lot of responsibilities, but it's not actually the stress that's happening. It's the way your mind is responding to all those thoughts that are happening in your mind. Mm. And that is is why right now the majority of people are all in that limbic survival part of their brain, which gives them obsessional thinking, gives them negative thinking, and it will show up in templated behaviour of health anxiety, feeling angry, drinking too much alcohol, bulimia however that shows up for different
1: people yeah that, that that makes perfect sense it reminds me of a conversation i had with a guy i've known since i was 16 when i joined the army and i caught up with him purely by chance maybe five years ago and he'd just been promoted to lieutenant colonel in, in the army so commanding a, a regiment probably equivalent to being md or ceo of a business with 500 odd people sure and i said how is it sam how is it being a commanding officer he said I'm not going to lie, Ben. He said it's it's really full on. He said the first few months I was really stressed with the job. I said, kind of, well, how is it now? Because you don't seem really stressed now. And I said, what sort of made the difference? He said, well, I was speaking to to my boss who is a who is a brigadier, and he'd said to his boss, "Sir, I'm I'm finding it really stressful, all the demands of the job." To which he replied, "Went Sam, it's only stressful if you try and do everything." (laughs) <laughs> which i think was was really interesting because sam thought he had to do everything and there he was getting permission from his boss saying like you don't have to do do it all and um, so it is isn't it it's how we think about things and some of the underpinning beliefs that we have that causes causes the, the stress response i guess rather than as you say the the events the people themselves
0: and i think there's a bit of a misunderstanding as well in regards to managing stress ben because like i said often or not we think about all the things that we're going to do to help us relax so one of the like the interesting things that I talk about is like, when you imagine like a scale being from zero to 10 on the stress scale and zero to 10 on the relax scale, we cannot possibly be a five on the relaxed scale and a six on the stress scale. We're either going to be one or two places. Mm. But what starts to happen is people often then think, right, okay, how much time this morning? Let me ask the listeners the question, since you've woken up this morning, how much time today have you given to relaxing? Versus how much time today have you given to stressing? Now, when I say stressing, I don't just mean rushing around and answering emails, seeing your kids, perhaps doing all the jobs and things that you've got to do in your company. I mean how much time has your mind been stressing?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: My whole mental health management method is called the Now statement. and ultimately, it's about teaching people how they can learn to manage their mind to be in the present moment. Because what happens is when our mind starts to move back into the future. Whether that be an hour from now, thinking about a a board meeting that's coming up or whether it be six weeks from now and you're projecting about your eldest daughter leaving to go to university, you're only ever going to get anxiety, fear and worry. It's how the mind works. Similarly, when we step backwards off the now step, whether it be an hour ago, replaying that conversation, perhaps that you've been really angry with one of your managers and you've maybe not dealt with it the proper way, perhaps you're going back even further than that, 10 years ago when a relationship broke down, your mind will only ever then give you sadness, regret, guilt, and depression. And that's the misunderstanding right now, that the majority of the world are like, oh my goodness, I've got anxiety, I've got depression, I've got stress. No, actually, if not, it's how you're managing your mind and how you're managing your thoughts in regards to where your mind is, whether that's in the past or whether it's in the future. Mm-hmm.
1: So tell us a little bit more about the now step then, Lynn, because I know uh, you've just got a book coming out very soon. And probably by the time this goes to air, it's probably probably out. And you've kindly going to give us a few copies to give away for the listener prize draw that we often do. So, uh, yeah, give us the two minute elevator pitch for the book. What can people expect? Kind of who's it for?
0: Absolutely. So so the book is called The Now Step and it's called Manage Your Mental Health Without Going Over the Past. Because I'm solution focused, The Now Step is a solution focused way of managing your mental health. It's not going to take you back over a painful past because often or not, I get clients that come that are sent through corporate companies to come and get support from me, that have been away and done the EAPs and the 12 week counselling course. We've all been there, we've all done support like that when you're drudging through the past and looking at your relationships and your marriage and your upbringings, perhaps things that have been happening for you being in the army. I can only imagine as well, people with PTSD, it's often or not, let's look back and see what events are making you feel the way you feel. Whereas the stuff that I do is very, very different because it's not going back over the past. So we're finding a solution to managing things in the future. So ultimately the book is all about my method. So ultimately the now step is about when you think about the word now, so the N stars stands for notice how you're feeling in your body. Right. What's coming up for you right now? What emotion is it? Is it anger? Is it frustration? Is it sadness? Is it guilt? And then the O is for observe what's happening in your mind. What is that crazy voice in your mind saying? What is it telling you to do? And then the W is for where are you right now? Where is your mind right now? Are you in the future? Are you in the past? And it's teaching and enabling people from the methods that I teach to be able to bring their, back, their mind back onto the now step because that's the only place that we don't fill our stress bucket. And when our stress bucket's got room in it, we're able to have intellectual mind control. Got you. When we've got intellectual mind control, we can lead from the top. We can support other people and we can lead by example. So the book goes through all the methodology, some case studies and things in there as well about people that I've worked with. Obviously, there's a lot in there about my journey as well. And yes, it's coming out on the 1st of September, so it can be bought on Amazon and on Waterstones. And yes, absolutely, I really look forward to everybody coming and joining me and thousands of others that are living from the now step.
1: Brilliant. I'm really interested by the... um... The the N in the now now step, uh, and there's probably like a a long personal element to this. But I, I wonder to what degree do you think that people sort of are in tune with really noticing and understanding their their feelings and uh, and emotions. The reason I say that is so. It's a bit bit of a bit of a story here. I do a lot of work with sort of a profiling tool called called strength scope which is kind of based in positive psychology as well so aligned to solutions focused thinking which is let's focus on your innate strengths the things that energize you the things you're probably good at and let's play to those let's tackle challenges from a posi- position of strength mm. and without potentially uh, oversharing with, with listeners here for many years one of my highest strengths was emotional control have been able to mm-hmm. regulate my emotions even from a really young boy at school I was told Ben is cool and calm in a crisis and that started to become my identity so I had this belief around it and then I went to Sandhurst to do my officer training and again like being cool and calm in the in the military mm-hmm. is a good thing so that was reinforced as a as a good thing so actually I probably didn't have a very good emotional vocabulary and when I was doing a, a, a debrief on my own profile with a friend friend of mine she said do you know what Ben said as much as I know you a lot of the time I just don't have a clue what's going on what what you're thinking and she said if you really want to connect with people and take your business where I know you want to take it you need to start working on dialing back that that emotional control and then fast forward to a few years ago I went on a applied neuroscience program and one of the first sessions was talking about the neuroscience of feelings and emotions Mm -hmm. and I found myself in this in this breakout group with a lady from America who'd um, done the program before. And one of the first questions she asked me in this little break rack group, and she was a coach as well. It's a bit weird when you've got a load of coaches working together. <laughs> but she said, hey, hey, Ben, what's your emotional vocabulary like? And just like every bit of me cringed and the hackles went up. I'm like, what are you talking about emotional vocabulary? Which is all my sort of biases and some probably underdeveloped parts of my, my personality were causing mm-hmm. me to react like that. And then from there, I have basically spent quite a lot of time using the feelings wheel, which I'm sure you'll, you'll be familiar with, just really sort of to start to understand, okay, I'm feeling this way. What is the emotion? What, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And I just wondered, to what degree do you think maybe us as humans, or let's narrow it down a little bit, kind of managers and leaders, like how developed do you think most people's understanding, true understanding around feelings and emotions is? Because it drives so much of our behavior, right?
0: Absolutely, of course it does. And I think it's like anything, Ben, it's very, very varied between between sexes, between personality types. I think it's very, very different, isn't it? Deve- de- dependent on the individual. I think that when people are able to rewire their brain to the intellectual part of their minds, it's something that starts to become more natural because it's something that you feel more comfortable with. Because you're managing that voice in your head that normally normally what happens is we feel an emotion and then that little crazy voice in our head, that little crazy man would have been saying to you, right, Ben, don't don't act upset or don't act whatever you may be because it's almost trying to pull you back again. Whereas when we start to get more intellectual mind control, it allows us to be able to see our emotions for what they are. Because ultimately, our emotions are the same as the thoughts in our minds. Our minds move with thoughts, good, bad, happy or sad. We'll always have thoughts. And it's the same with our emotions. And it's having that understanding of that whatever's going on in our mind right now, whatever's going on in the feeling in our body, once we start to understand that and notice it for what it is, we're able just to let it go. We don't need to spend ages with this thought that keeps coming up obsessively about X, Y or Z. We don't need to lie there and lie awake at our nights in our bed, can't get back to sleep we know, we, we don't need to feel these like emotions pent up inside us all the time. It's really, really easy to to operate from the intellectual part of your brain and just show up as a true version of yourself. But right mm-hmm. now, and I, I don't know whether really, like is this something that you're seeing in the in the programs and things that you're doing, but there's so much stuff out there about you're right. Let's like, let, let's look at psychological safety and let's look at where we're at as a leadership team and blah, blah, blah. blah. The problem is right now because the majority of them are operating from primitive brain control. Yeah. And it's especially this with employees. Companies are saying, we really want you to put your hand up if you're not happy about something, and we want you to, like, get involved, ask questions. But because the majority of people are in that survival part of their brain, they think they're going to see that tiger. Yeah. They don't want to be putting yourself out there and saying, actually, I'm feeling really sad today or I'm feeling really upset about something you said because they're worried that it's going to have a consequence. So again, it all is something that needs to get worked at from a really, really basic level. And we need to start look- looking at mental health as a problem and we need to start looking at it as something that everybody is on the spectrum somewhere. So as leaders, what can we be doing to make sure we're operating from the intellectual part of our brain, and then what can we be doing to make sure that we're spreading that out to our employees? I hmm.
1: don't know what your view on this is. I think fundamentally it's quite simple, though, right? It's just as a leader or manager checking in with your people, asking how they are, kind of what's going on. That's for me. For me like that's the that's the the first step. I think if I go back to my time in the military, like we didn't talk about psychological safety or any of the stuff that kind of widely gets spoken about now but as as leaders it was drilled into us again and again and again to get to know your people wander around chat to your people understand Mm -hmm. how they're doing what's going on for them and that's almost like the fundamental human first principle of it isn't it? i think sometimes we can try and over intellectualize this i think psychological safety is a is a great great example of that it's been talked about a a lot lately and Mm -hmm. yes I think there are lots of tactical things that leaders leadership teams can do to create a a sense of psychological safety but I do think it almost goes back to this first principle of part of our job as a leader is to look after people human beings and if we see them as human beings and check in with them with genuine concern and empathy ask how people are doing I think Mm -hmm. that just starts to shift things massively without having to create a psychological safety training program or or whatever we, we, we might ask HR to do.
0: Absolutely and I completely agree with you on that but if you think back to perhaps over the years when maybe times for you when you were saying you were quite emotionally shut off and things like that when you think back to perhaps personal experiences Ben can you think of any times when perhaps somebody that's been a leader to you has asked you how you've been and you've just automatically said yes I'm great I'm fine everything's all right
1: yeah well that's the very humanistic response isn't it because I think a lot of the time we interpret that just as a general greeting rather than a genuine question how how are you doing isn't it I I don't know if you saw it there was the Roman Kemp the DJ, the young DJ did a documentary here in the UK about 12 months back Mm -hmm. because one of his friends sadly took their own life. And he said amongst his group of friends now, they ask how they are twice because they realise that first time people don't properly answer the question. So they say, no, how Mm -hmm. how are you really doing, Lynn?
0: Absolutely. But I think, again, in my experience, a mental health expert, when people are then in front of you that are in that limbic, primitive part of their brain, like where I was uh, way back 15 years ago when I was in that corporate environment with really bad anxiety, even if somebody had asked me 10 times, Ben, I wouldn't have actually said, well, to be honest, this is how I'm feeling. Right. And like I say, I think things have come on massively with like mental health first aiders and companies now, they have all the things involved for mental health first aid day and things like that. Like it's come on massively. But the main thing that everybody needs to take from this is, as a leader, you can ask the questions till you're blue in the face. But if somebody that's in front of you has got that int- that primitive part of their brain, they're never going to tell you honestly. They're never going to put their hands up and phone up a support line to go and get help through their work. They're never going to actually state their line manager. Do you know what? I'm really struggling right now from bulimia or from OCD or whatever that may be. They're not going to do it. However, yeah. if we're able to train everybody like this is the stuff that i now teach my kids like it's basic stuff about showing them how they rewire their brains like for example let me just give you an example here obviously we're talking about asking questions so one of the things being solution focused one of the quickest ways that we can switch off that negative obsessional crazy lady or crazy man voice in our head which all comes up from our subconscious program and is always there the quickest way to put us into intellectual mind control and make new neural connections to that intellectual brain is to ask the question, what has been good? Mm -hmm. So if I was to ask you right now, Ben, if I was to say to you, right, okay, since you have woken up this morning, I want you to tell me three things. What's been good today?
1: Sitting doing some... Tutoring with with my daughter and yeah, yeah. not having to rush into work has been has been good. And actually not just saying this because I'm standing here talking to you, like be, being on this podcast because it's been a, a while coming and we had some challenges making this episode work. So, yeah, there you go.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for doing that. I think there's just a little example of how managers and leaders can change their language to be more solution focused. So we're not asking people, how are you feeling today? What's going on with your project? Okay, what's been good about the project? what's been good what's been good what's been good it's a great little question to use if any listeners are listening right now that struggle for sleeping at night time because that's obviously something as well that i tend to find that the majority of people that are struggling with their mental health they don't sleep well they either wake up during the night or they wake up in the morning with that really bad morning anxiety if anybody's struggling with sleeping right now when you wake up during the night it's that crazy voice that's in charge it's not you because there's always the two parts here. There's the part that's true, your intellectual mind, and then there's that part here that's not true. When you wake up during the night or when you're lying in your bed at night time, thinking about the emails and the meetings and what's not went wrong, what's not went right that day and what's going to happen in the weeks coming up, it's that negative obsessional voice that's there. Yeah. The quickest way to quieten that down is during the night, is to ask yourself that question gently. Okay, what has been good today? What's been good what's been good and even if you just lie there for a few minutes and allow yourself to switch into intellectual mind control and just use the what's been good question the chances are you're in a better place for falling back asleep
1: yeah i love that because it's when we wake in the middle of the night the logical part of the brain isn't working straight up is it so we need to we Absolutely can't try and, it's like trying to resolve a, a problem or something that's stressing you out with with logic in the middle of the night just just it's not neurologically possible is it if i'm correct
0: Absolutely not. But that what's been good is almost like a little, it's the most simplest solution focused, goal. gold being brain training that you can use when you're driving to meetings, you can use before you're ready to send that email back to somebody feeling really angry and stressed out, just stop for a moment and just become aware of, okay, which part of my brain am I operating from right now? Am I in that anxious negative part of my brain? Okay, I'm a leader. I can do better than that. Okay, let's switch on intellectual mind control. What's been good? Do a couple of what's been goods then take to start writing the email
1: yeah and it it absolutely works as well right because again this is quite popular last five years or so lots of people have been talking about what i'm about to share but probably for seven years now and one of the first things i've been doing each morning absolutely before waving it around it before i touch my phone because there's a lot of negativity comes at you from from your phone right whether it be the the, the news, or opening our email, and kind of some emails that that might trigger us. But for years, I've written down three new things that I'm I'm grateful for. Love it. And I've been trying to dial up the detail on that lately, actually, so it has even more impact. And then mm. I review the the day before, which is essentially reviewing wins from the day before. Ignore kind of what what didn't go well. I might kind of write down some some learnings or things I can do better, but very much focused on on the wins. And and it does, it absolutely kind of primes you, I think, and puts you in a in a in a great state.
0: It's one of those things, isn't it, when like we've all been along and done various courses and training courses and I'm sure everybody on your listeners have been and done many courses when they're like, Okay, come on, let's be positive and let's write down our three what's been good things and when people are in that survival limbic part of their brain. You can see them. They start to roll their eyes and they're thinking, yeah. oh, here she goes again. It's somebody else that's like, be positive and happy. But when people start to understand that, the only way that they'll rewire their brain, the only way that they'll stop filling that stress bucket is to start to get more intellectual mind control mm-hmm. and understand the neuroscience behind something that's so simple, like you say, like, I never write things down because I'm that used to do all these things now. Like, what's been good and some of the other things that I use are just second nature to me now. So, even driving the car or lying in the bath or whatever it may be, you can use them at any time. Yeah. But you start to see the power in it the more that you start to do it.
1: Yeah, brilliant. Then I've got one more question before I finish up with a few quick fire ones. I want to take you back to something you said a little while ago, which was going back 10 or 15 years when you was working in the corporate world and no matter how many times your manager said, how are you, it probably wouldn't wouldn't have helped. Is there anything leaders and managers can do that's going to make a difference? I I heard what you said around starting to shift our language, kind of what's gone well, what's been good about today, what's been good about the project. Is there anything else that they can do to specifically support individuals?
0: Absolutely. Great question. But I think that sending them on, various training and programs i think organizations now have that responsibility that they need to teach their employees how to manage their minds right so it's not about managing anger it's not about like managing relationships or conflict but it's the simple simple basics around teaching them how to manage their mind and understand where that voice comes from and how they respond when they hear that voice because when you start to empower people with simple things like mind management the amount of people that sit in front of me and when you, like, I've got some great exercises that really give people that penny-dropping moment when they're all of a sudden they're like, wow, so my mind's been so busy with all this stuff for the past couple of weeks, but it didn't need to be like that. It almost gives them that sense of relief. And I really think that until organisations start looking at mental health in a solution-focused way, yeah, so they're not looking at it as a problem and they're not expecting... EAPs and the mental health first aiders to be the answer, and they start looking at it from a very basic level of teaching mind management to everybody. I think the ongoing mental health crisis is going to continue because so far what's happening is not working. And by asking people a question is not enough.
1: Here, here. Got a couple of quick fire questions for you. Uh, these might put you on the spot slightly. Let's go with the first one. What would you say? Is one book that has really had a significant impact on you in any genre or field?
0: Oh my goodness! Um, probably the book called "I'm going to get go the name right." The Untethered Soul. Ah, uh, yeah. Have you read that book?
1: I have. Yeah. In fact, someone gave it. Someone gave it to me as an audio book. Actually, cool. And other than your mobile phone, what is one item that you'd immediately go and replace if it was lost, broken, or stolen? <gasps>
0: Oh my goodness, that's a total tricky one. Probably my Peloton Uh because I'm just totally in love with it. Like I've got this thing into my life now that I'm like, how did I ever live without it? Brilliant. Being a mum and trying to work from home and things like that, like exercise for me is something over the past couple of years that's went. So absolutely my Peloton.
1: Brilliant. Lynn, it's been amazing having you on the show. It's been a really great, great conversation that I'm absolutely sure listeners are going to get loads of value from if people want to get in touch directly with you what's the best way of doing that
0: absolutely they can either drop me an email at lynn it's just L-Y-N at com, or i'm contactable on
1: linkedin or also on facebook you can tell it's a great episode i'm sitting here kind of really really smart it's been been a wicked chat thank you so much
0: oh, I'm so please thank you very much for having me on here it's been an absolute pleasure
1: There you have it, folks. That was episode 94 and my conversation with Lynn Penman, which I really hope you enjoyed and took value from. If you did, then please do let me know. Connect with me via LinkedIn. I'm on there as Ben Morton Leadership and drop me a note there to let me know what you thought of the episode. And finally, before you go, please do remember that book competition and your opportunity to win a free copy of Lynn's brilliant new book the link to enter that competition is in the show notes all you've got to do is enter your email address and then we'll let you know if you are one of the lucky winners that gets pulled out of the hat that's it for this episode I will talk to you again very soon and until then folks lead on